Uh, we really followed that public power model of bringing in electricity, you know, back in the day, so to speak. And, and we kind of feel like we're in that second generation of our purpose uh, to bring them high speed internet into areas that, that don't have it otherwise. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota, and speaking today with Jamie Davis, the Vice President of Fiber and the Chief Technology Officer at the Knoxville Utilities Board. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris, for having me today. It's really great to talk to you, Jamie. Um, I, I, you know, I let you know ahead of time, like I've been watching Knoxville a bit. I've, uh, I was in Chattanooga before they actually uh, built their network around the time they had just started construction of it. And I've been fascinated by um, just a lot of the real nation leading investment we've seen in, in Tennessee. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm just excited to be talking to you several years into this project and spreading the word. So uh, let's just start with uh, what does the Knoxville utility board do across the board? And then we'll come back to the fiber network. KUB is a five utility, five service utility. Uh, we serve Knoxville, Knox County, and parts of seven surrounding counties with uh, services around electricity, water, wastewater, and natural gas. And now our fifth and newest division in fiber um, is with a lot of the, all our Tennessee uh, distributors of TVA. Uh, state law allows us to serve fiber where we uh, serve electricity. We have about 5,000 miles of electric conductor covering, you know, 200,000 customers. Um, and so that's where we will be able to serve fiber as we continue our deployment. And we're talking about Knoxville with the University of Tennessee. We're talking about more than 200,000 homes. So, you know, maybe approaching uh, 500,000 people about. I assume so. That sounds about right. I'd have to look at the numbers to be sure. <laughs> A hundred, a hundred thousand uh, for sure on uh, any given Saturday inside of Maitland Stadium. Let's say that now, please. And now you're uh, building out the fiber network. Uh, and I, I assume that this has significant implications for electricity, but uh, for, for my interest, um, you know, delivering high quality internet access to every last person that gets your electricity service. That's, that's a remarkable goal given how spread out you are um, outside of those dense areas. Absolutely. We, uh, we're a very diverse system. A lot of folks think that we are, are just kind of the urban area, like you called out, kind of kind of city of Knoxville proper. Uh, but our density in some of our more rural areas, uh, we really followed that public power model of bringing in electricity, you know, back in the day, so to speak. And, and we kind of feel like we're in that second generation of our purpose uh, to bring them high speed internet into areas that, that don't have it otherwise. Okay, so you're building out the fiber network, and I want to get to the story of how we got there, but let's just update people on where you are. You started construction, um, was it one or two years ago? Um, we have been building a, a fiber backbone, if you will, to our substations really over about the past five or six years. Uh, we were officially you know, uh, allowed to be in the business in July of 21, and that's when it really kind of hit hyperdrive to, to really try to launch out to our other communities. Um, we've extended into three major areas. We lit our first pilot customer in uh, July of this past year. Um, and right now, currently continuing to extend in other areas, opening up new areas as the months go along in that particular regard. Um, we have made service available to about uh, right at 18,000 customers. By the end of the fiscal year, we'll add another 13,000 available. By the end of next fiscal year, so June of 24, uh, it'll be made available right at about 90,000 customers. We'll be almost halfway through our entire build at that particular point in time. And that is, I feel like, a pretty remarkable pace. 
uh, definitely, definitely moving right along uh, as, as fast as we can in that particular regard. You know, supply chain's been a little bit of an issue, as it is with everybody in their in their personal lives right now. Uh, but but folks are for sure clamoring for our service, and so we're trying to trying to meet that demand just as fast as we can. So I remember back in I want to say like 2012, Knoxville first came on my radar. Uh, as I started seeing local news stories uh, from television outlets in Knoxville talking about businesses that uh, were looking with some envy over at Chattanooga. And I think a few even started expanding into Chattanooga. And at that time, uh, your existing cable and telephone companies said the same thing that they tell everyone, which is our services here are great and you don't need anything else. And um, and I recall, although I didn't go back to double check, I recall the utility board at that time saying, uh, this is not something that we are prepared to do. Like we're excited that Chattanooga is doing it, but uh, it is not something that we think we should do. Um, and uh, and so I'm just curious, you know, if you can walk us through a little bit of how the utility board, you know, thought about this. You mentioned the pandemic, so I'm sure that played an important role in it. Absolutely. I mean, you know, back then, a lot of folks had a desire for us to get in the space, just like Chattanooga. Uh, I've personally been involved in, in two or three, you know, reviews of, of this being an effort. And at every step, you know, there were commitments by those already in the business to serve the customers that had not been served. Um, and so we thought that, that that would be an option as time went on. As we built that fiber backbone for our substations, we would, we would reach out to existing providers and say, if we can play a part in helping you extend to our customers, we'd be glad to do that. And again, we would receive commitment. No, we're going we're gonna to serve. We're going to reach these communities. Um, and then with the pandemic, it really, it really heightened. I mean, all of us, obviously, you know, what you and I are sitting here doing today online, having a conversation, became our normal way of life for health and education and, and just staying connected. Uh, it was at that point we really felt like that that it no longer become just entertainment, you know, entity for, for having internet service. It really was a, a in the pure sense of a utility. Uh, our existing city mayor, uh, India Kincannon, had asked our CEO Gabriel Bolas, you know, to take a look: is this an option uh, for for KUV at this point in time? And, and that was actually right before the pandemic. But when the pandemic hit, it really kind of changed. I would tell you the equation. And what we saw was not only were there unserved folks in what people historically think are our rural counties, but what we would call underserved, even, even within the shadow of where I'm sitting in downtown Knoxville today, that there may be pockets of folks that either from an affordability perspective or even just an uh, adequate service perspective or a cost to extend that last mile uh, to them, it was, the service was just unobtainable. And so, you know, beyond just the business aspects of it, it really was, a, I'll call it a purpose aspect. It really kind of kind of hit us and, and realized that we needed to be playing a role in our community. And so I think I think with all that being said, you know, the models have been proven out. You know, we've got folks in our neighbors, our friends at EPB, at Morristown, others who've been in this space now for, for multiple years. They've kind of paved the way, forged the trail, and shown the rest of us how it can work. And, and as a result, uh, we just kind of we kind of took pages out of their playbook. And, and I, I think that's really what changed. I like to tell folks, you know, we were right for us for Knoxville. In, in those earlier years that you referenced, and we're right now today as well too. Folks have come into this space at different times for different reasons, and uh, but but our story is is that you know again the pandemic really kind of highlighted the need for that. And you referenced earlier the need for the technology on our other utilities system side. But the case for for fiber really starts for us as utility folks in, in managing the system of the future. Automation is going to be the way to go. Uh, folks have a higher and higher reliance on reliability. 
there's more and more data to be gathered out of the system and you need a low latency, high speed, very reliable communication medium to help you do that. Fiber for us is, 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 that, is that medium of choice. And, and when you've got that network, it just enables you to be able to, to provide you know, broadband service to citizens and, and they're asking for it. And, and there's need for it as well too. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that uh, that you you discussed there, I think, is something I want to just emphasize. Um, you know, people that are paid to oppose these projects. Um, I'm not saying that there's no one who has an honest, you know, degree of opposition to them, but but the folks who are loudest often getting those paychecks. They, um, you know, they'll say things like, "Oh, these cities just dive in without really understanding what they're doing." Uh, you know, Chattanooga went through four or five different business studies over mo- over more than a decade before Harold DePriest decided that it was a smart investment for them. You went through several. And I think that's important for people to hear that this is not something where the pandemic hit and you said, well, let's embark on a fifth utility. You know, <laughs> you're able to look at those numbers. You have a sense of how the numbers are changing on a on a every couple of year basis. And and you're able to make that decision based on, um, you know, different changing factors and, and in, including a forecast of what you think you're likely likely to get from other private investment, I think. You know, it's not to be taken lightly. You know, for KUB, it's a, it's a significant investment. Uh, we are, are called to be good stewards of our ratepayers' money. Uh, this is their system. It's not mine. It's not our board of directors. It's theirs. Um, and so, really, it's their choice. And I, I, some of the strongest feedback we got were from our constituents. By state law, in, in our approval process, we're required to have public meetings. A public meeting. We had two. Um, and the overwhelming feedback that we got time and time again was we, we need a better product. And, and that was you know, indicative of whether that was in the rural areas or in the highly densely served areas in Knoxville. Uh, I think that, that as the demands of, of capacity and speed and reliability continue, our tolerance for, for uh, the spinning wheels, we call it, you know, is, is, is smaller and smaller. Devices, the number of devices are getting connected in your home are more and more and more. Uh, from a from an economic development perspective, you know, Chattanooga has proven through their models and studies that it's been billions of dollars of impact in the Chattanooga area. Their brand is a city of gig city, uh, really kind of cascades down to a number of areas. And, and we too commissioned a study with the Boyd Institute at the University of Tennessee, and and they predict similar you know benefits to our community of having a hundred percent fiber to home network in, in our area. So. Again, I, I think that whether that's the, the municipal co-op model or whether that's the for-profit provider model, both can work. Um, it's just the notion that, that that folks deserve this this type of service and and, um, and communities are, are beginning to expect it. And I think if you want to be a community of the future, uh, you have to have this type of infrastructure. Yes, I think it is important to know, you know, the, the role of the utility is not to try to put any existing businesses out of business. It is to make sure that everyone has, you know, a a good service. It's to raise the bar for what is the minimal accepted pricing and services and whatnot. And then people have a choice. And one of the things we've seen is, you know, I could name, I think, two out of well over 200 uh, where there are citywide systems where the private um, telecommunications providers pulled out. Um, and that was, those are both very small areas. I mean, these things are, these investments are smart for encouraging competition. I wonder if you could compare a little bit, just so people have a sense. This is a, a, a it is an expensive investment. I Many, um, I'm guessing multiple hundreds of millions of dollars. I forget what it was, but could you put that in context of the other investments that the utility has made as well? So people have some context? 
just rough terms, again, off the top of my head, this is about a $700 million endeavor um, over a course of about seven to 10 years, let's call it. That's both operations and capital expenditures. KEB right now, um, we just uh, had our budget presentation yesterday. We are now, as a company, with five utilities, a billion dollar budget a year. So you can kind of get a, a perspective in that particular regard. As far as a multi-year project, probably the largest that, you know, for sure that we've done, but we've also uh, been under a consent decree for our wastewater system. So those are very large projects. Um, we are currently have a, a project at our water plant that is the single largest um, project uh, of KUB's history. That's one of the things that I've, I've really learned in all of this work is that uh, people have no idea how expensive water treatment plants are. <laughs> when people talk about you, internet you, access you being not. expensive. <laughs> and, and higher the regulation, the, the more expensive things ultimately get. Now, being in the utility business is very capital intensive. It's infrastructure. That's the reason we hear it talked about on a national level um, with a lot of the ARPA funds that are coming down and everything else too. Obviously, we all kind of take it for granted. Um, and we, we like our customers doing that. We don't want to be necessarily thought about. We want to be in the, in the, in the shadows providing great service to our neighbors. Um, but as we call our Century 2 program, I mean, these, these investments in some cases in our cities are hundreds of years old. And it's time for, for us to be in a, in a methodical, logical way of replacing those aging assets. In the case of fiber, it's really the next generation. You know, um, years, I'll say years ago at KUB, we connected our substations with Twisted Copper Pair. Somebody had a, a vision of having an analog communication network allowing us to communicate from point to point to point. Somebody stepped out on a, a limb, you know, made that investment, it paid off for decades in that particular regard. We don't even have an idea of how our fiber investment is going to pay off fully. We've got a, we've got a really great thing of what we know today, but, but we know that future applications that will be able to ride on that network, we don't even understand what they are nowadays. So we believe that there are... Our uses from the utility side, our customers' uses from the, the receiving broadband service are just, that case is a solid and steady case, but there'll be uses that you and I don't even know about. One of the things that also has struck me in looking at Tennessee as a whole, which I expect, um, you know, as you just said, we won't know for a while. Um, I mean, the the supply chain, the inflation is going to put pressure on you. But when we looked at all of the citywide broadband systems in Tennessee, and this was uh, this was five or six years ago. Uh, we found that uh, I believe half of them had never raised their prices. Some of them for more than a decade uh, for internet service. Now, cable television is different uh, because that's a nightmare of a business to be in where you don't have a lot of control. Uh, but um, you know, Chattanooga still hasn't raised their rates to begin with. You're coming in with a very competitive rate for a gigabit, and um, uh, I, I'm curious how the, uh, that's being received by the public. Um. Very, very solid. I think that, uh, you know, what we've seen, and you referenced it earlier about um, the general response of incumbent providers once a new entrant to market, um, you know, the proverbial high tide raises all ships. And we said, too, that if our entry into the market extends service, extends better service from our competitors, then Knoxville and the area wins as well. And so right now, um, from a market value perspective, uh, there's, some, there's some really good deals going on in Knoxville as it relates to the Internet. But at the same time, uh, our plan is to be non-gimmicky, non-promotional, and really taking a page out of, out of Chattanooga's playbook of consistency and being a fair dealer in the market. And in our case, $65 for a gigabit symmetrical unlimited. Um, and in our business case plans, you know, you, you never want to 
nailing thing in the stone. But our thought is, is that that price is going to hold for a long time. Um, it's a very fair value in the market. Uh, talked with our board yesterday, literally, about you know what the competition has done, and for sure, for a gigabyte, um, we are still the best deal in town as it relates to that. Um, so uh, many of your other co-op and municipal providers in our in our area are very similarly priced, um, and and so you can get that. You know, in a lot of cases, you can get a gig or at least a half gig pack uh, for similar pricing some of the most rural areas of East Tennessee, uh, whether it's a community or co-op. Right. And so $65 a month, no gimmicks. And that then results in, I mean, you're talking about 200,000 households. Not everyone yet, I'm sure, is seeing the result of that competition because uh, you're in a, a fraction of the area and those uh, other companies are often pretty good about targeting their sales folks to where you are and where you will be in the next six months. <laughs> um, but as you're rolling through this, I mean, from the numbers that, we have seen, uh, we would expect, you know, well over one, possibly more than two or three million dollars of extra money uh, in aggregate in the community every month, you know, in, in well over uh, 10, 15 million dollars of savings per year. That's new money, effectively, that's in people's wallets that would not have been there. You're not getting that money. They're probably I think most people take that to a local restaurant or a movie or something like that with that, you know, that, that sort of extra money in their pocket. But it's a big deal. It adds up over time. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think that's the that was one of the key uh, economic benefits that the Boyd Center uh, report that I referenced mentioned was that let's, let's just call it disposable income. Uh, at that point, uh, people can choose to use, utilize that elsewhere, and especially with inflationary pressures on all of us nowadays, uh, everybody can appreciate a little more, a little more like cash in the pocket, so to speak. Now, you have a good relationship with the state broadband office. Uh, they have put a lot of money into the highest quality networks in rural areas. I, I'm I'm excited that, um, you know, uh, in Tennessee to date, uh, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. But uh, one of one of several states, which is um, making sure that public money is spent on long term investments that are going to meet people's needs, uh, often through entities that are really committed and locally rooted. Um, you know, those local co-ops and, and, and municipal networks in many cases or or providers that have just that have proven time and again that they are focused on the future of Tennessee. Um, you got 15 million dollars to uh, connect some of those more rural areas. And I guess I'm curious if you can tell us a, a little bit about that program. And um, do you anticipate needing to get um, additional funds to help with some of those more real low density areas? Uh, or um, is this pretty much what you needed? I can't imagine that's all you needed. <laughs> <laughs> well, believe it or not, uh, as I've discussed, we have some pretty low-density rural areas, but under current criteria, which is based with the FCC maps, where in the case of the state of Tennessee, we applaud them from raising that FCC standard of 25.3 up to 120, um, meaning that if it did not have download speeds of 100, upload speeds of 20 megabytes, then, then it was eligible. Um, that opened up what we were eligible to apply to grants for quite a bit. Um, had that speed been raised a little bit more or other prohibitions lifted, perhaps we would have awarded more dollars. But where the, where the FCC maps would tell you that that, that is not available, we, were, we received uh, four of the five grant application areas. And those four, uh, like you said, totaled for $15 million. It will, it will for the most part, cover all the costs in those particular areas that, that meet that criteria. Um, that's not all of our rural areas, but again, the rural areas where that criteria is met. Um, 
and it, it, it goes it goes a long way in those areas. But you know, if we're talking a you know four hundred million dollar capital you know budget, it, it's a, a small portion, but every bit helps. We're very tickled. We do have a wonderful broadband program here in the state of Tennessee, led led by uh, great directors over the years with real real vision of how to to do that. It's a, you know, a real partnership effort. If you if you see about who's been awarded the grants, it's not. All muni, not all co-op, not all for-profit providers. I think it's been a very balanced scorecard in that area. Um, but I think all the providers, and for sure, the heart of the broadband uh, directors there is is to get is to get broadband to folks that need it in the most rural areas of Tennessee um, that, that have been uh, really left behind in many years. So this is this has been a, a long-standing, you know, I guess you'd say tradition for this office to be putting public funds into this space. And I think with the most recent. Uh, funds that have been flowing down to the state of Tennessee really meet the needs of some of the folks, our citizens that need it the most. And so we're very excited about that. So the shot clock has started. We've got three years to get into those areas. And uh, we're about to light the first area uh, in our electoral community, which covers parts of the Union and Granger counties, uh, our rural areas. We're going to hopefully light them up uh, this May, uh, which is, is almost now. So hopefully late May, early June is our goal. And we're very, very excited about that. Those folks are very excited about it. You alluded to uh, other restrictions. Uh, Tennessee, um, not the broadband office, but the legislature has uh, for uh, 25 years, um, I think at this point, not allowed uh, the cities, uh, the municipal electric providers to provide service outside of their electric boundaries. Um, and I'm, get, I'm guessing that your CSRs probably still get phone calls from people who are on the wrong side and they're they're upset and confused that that they that you are not able to serve them, uh, and that is uh, that's got to be a frustration for a lot of folks involved. When there are neighbors, you know, we, we see them at the ballpark or, or you know, places of worship and, and things like that. And they say, "Man, I wish I could get KUB fiber or whoever it might be." So, well, you're not our electric customer. In our case, providing you know now five services, uh, we, for example, have a, an area that where we may provide only natural gas service and not electricity. Yet they're, they're, we feel a relationship with them that we can't provide them service. In many cases for KUB, the good news is our neighboring utilities have decided to be in the space as well. So they at least have access to a provider. Um, it's in the areas in which our folks have no service or very, very, very limited service that gets yeah, a little bit of a frustration in that regard. There's been an ongoing dialogue amongst all distributors for a number of years now about you know, perhaps a good neighbor provision which would allow a distributor to talk to another distributor, electric company to electric company, and be invited in to their territory and say, can you do this for us? And I know there's been good discussion at the legislature, but today nothing's really been forward of substance. Yeah, we've seen that in uh, we've seen that in Iowa, we've seen that in uh, Wisconsin, Illinois. Um, no, Indiana is what I'm thinking of. I don't know, maybe in Illinois, but I'm not aware of anyone off the top of my head. And, um, you know, that's the sort of thing that, um, I, I just say that like, I understand that people uh, are worried about risk and about cities or, or municipal electric utilities doing something that they're not that familiar with. But once you've established a track record of success, uh, the risk of expanding to another city is is really quite low. And so it's not the best um, justification for not allowing that. So, uh, But that said, we're running out of time. And I really want to ask you about the um, Student Internet Access Program, uh, which is something that I think is somewhat newer. I don't even know if you've got gotten it rolling or not yet, but I know that it's been talked about for a while. Uh, what are you doing uh, on that program? Well, please report that we're, we're starting to pilot that program with uh, three high schools in the area, which we have a relationship with in our inner city. 
I wish we could take credit for the creation or, or concept of this program, but again, uh, emulating our friends at, at EPB when the pandemic hit, uh, they, they, to meet the need of, of kiddos that were being unserved, uh, worked with uh, their local school board, uh, their local governments, and some private foundations to create a program uh, that, that literally we mirror that will provide uh, free internet to students um, that meet uh, certain criteria, uh, income-based criteria. For people that want to look it up, uh, it's Hamilton County Schools uh, over in the, the Chattanooga version of it. It's called HCS EdConnect. And uh, I've talked with Deb Sosha about it several times over the years. A wonderful program and really exciting that you all were able to build on it. Absolutely. We, uh, we met with our local officials and said, you know, as KDB gets into this business, uh, some of our, our costs are going to increase, such as the, the in lieu of taxes that we pay. We don't pay taxes, but we pay in lieu of taxes. So as a community, why don't we do something neat? Why don't we take that incremental increased tax and fund a portion, if not all, of a program like this? And today, um, we've gotten it off the ground working with our city officials. They've been very supportive of that. Um, as time goes on and our tax base increases, we can we can hopefully help more and more kids with that. Um, we uh, but our, our program is called Connected. Um, will be the name of our program, and again, um, utilizing the funds of the ACP, the Affordable Connectivity Program. If a family would like to receive our funds for the educational portion, uh, they we can basically mirrored the criteria for the ACP. They will qualify and receive ACP funds, and we fill in the gap. In between there we are also providing an in-home you know as part of that service an in-home router which also then comes along with our technical support helping them tune it service it whatever the case may be to be sure that they're getting hooked up the other thing that, that kind of partners them alongside of that i think is uh, our chamber of commerce during the pandemic really filled a gap working with the school system also not by connectivity but about how to utilize technology and so our Enox uh, pilot here in Knoxville has started a, a basically a technology training program for folks that at successful completion of that course, they receive a Chromebook and also are connected through uh, hopefully a provider that's available in their neighborhood with affordable internet. So not only, you know, to really get people to access and utilize the internet, it's, it's accessibility, it's affordability, and then there's a knowledge base that's needed there to be able to do it. So, we're really in our infancy here in Knoxville and especially TUB about getting our service out there, but also working on these two other programs. But we really see it as kind of the trifecta, if you will, of, of getting folks what they need in this space. So we're, we're very excited about, about all of that. That's great. I look forward to checking in with you on that in a few years to, to talk about some of the, the success stories of folks that are taking advantage of that and uh, hopefully uh, helping their family become a, a little bit uh, um, further up on the economic income scale. One last thing I wanted to ask you about was just uh, you have any advice for folks that are um, they're they're seeing the state come around and, and asking about uh, the, the every state is building their broadband plan and there's uh, having these local meetings. And I, and I think you want to encourage people to make sure they're taking part in that. On a national dialogue, there's a lot of money being put into the plan by the Biden administration to expand broadband to areas that don't have broadband. I would encourage you know both consumers and other you know folks that are considering purveying services get plugged in. Um, how that looked for us again was our, our broadband community is strong here in Tennessee. Our uh, Department of, of Economic Development that really heads up our broadband office is in, in working with NTIA 
uh, and local representatives of that have asked and, and have been having listening sessions, uh, asking folks and asking purveyors to how, how should we spend this money? How should it be laid out? Uh, I would encourage folks to get involved on the front end of that as opposed to waiting for the rules to be published. And so seek out your local NTIA rep or, or reach out at the federal level, your state broadband director, ask how they plan to dole out these funds and find out exactly how that's going to be spent in the communities, whether it be for access, for education. Uh, it feels as if there's a, an opportunity and plenty of money in those spaces to, to really do some good. Wonderful. Well, Jamie Davis, uh, it's been wonderful to, to meet you and to, to talk with you about what's going on in Knoxville. Yes, sir. Chris, great to talk with you. Look forward to a future, future uh, chat down the road. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.